Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Why don't you turn next to the person sitting beside you and say, Happy National Lobster Day. It's a big day in America. How many of you guys know we like to celebrate weird things in America? Uh, that is one of them. It's also a national quesadilla day. Shout out to anyone who likes quesadillas. Uh, but just a little hello. My name is Michael. I get the honor of serving here as our Youth and Community Engagement Director. Uh, super excited to be with you guys. Super excited to um, have Aula actually read that because it sounds a lot sweeter when someone sweet says it. So uh, thanks, Aula, for sharing now that I don't have to feel so bad because that is a pretty crazy text. Uh, but a little bit about me. Uh, I love the Raiders. I'm pretty loyal to them, except for right now because they're playing. Um, in fact, my brother told me this better be good because I'm missing the Raiders game. <laughs> so hopefully it's somewhat good to him. Uh, but yeah, I love the Raiders, love my family, I love golf. Um, but most of all, I love Jesus because I really do feel like God's truly changed my life. So kind of excited to share with you guys what I feel like God's been speaking to me as I've studied this text. And we're just continuing our series. If you haven't joined us, uh, the series is called Romans. And in simplicity, we're studying the book of Romans. Uh, and it's a letter written by a man named Paul who was writing to a Roman church. And so this is just what a lot of people would say, the gospel according to Paul. And Paul had a pretty crazy life, a life that many people would say, like, man, he, there's, there's, there's no going back for him. He did a lot of crazy things. He was that guy who was known for doing a lot of pretty wild things that may cause people to not really forgive him. Uh, but because of God's grace and mercy, he found Jesus and ultimately was saved. And so uh, he truly understand the story of Jesus. He truly understand what it meant to follow him. And I'm excited to kind of share his words, uh, not mine. So if you're offended today, uh, it's not because I made this up. Uh, it's just something that he spoke to a church. So I want to start off by just kind of recapping and talking about one of the verses that I truly do love in Romans 1, 16 through 17. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And this is a statement of Paul that's ultimately helping us realize our need for Jesus, realize our need for a savior, and that is through Jesus. And so a couple, over the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of going through some of these things. And uh, in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, we see a depraved uh, Gentile society, which is ultimately people who said that they were the final authority. They were the ones in charge. They were the ones. In chapter 2, we see the moralist, people who say, uh, because of my good deeds, because of my good works, uh, they will not be judged as a result of that. And last week, we talked about the Jewish person and self-confidence a.k.a. just religious rituals that make them right with God. And we've learned a little bit that there's more to it. And today, uh, we talk about the entire human race. So that's me, you, everybody else in between. And so um, if I'm being honest with you guys, this is kind of a really offensive one. Uh, if you weren't offended the last couple of weeks, and I know we've been saying that, today is the day, okay? Today I will offend you. That's my goal. Just kidding. Um, but it's ultimately to help us understand our need for Jesus. It's, it's not 
pointing fingers, but it's saying like, man, this is why we need a savior. This is why we need Jesus. So let's go ahead and take a look uh, one more time at Romans 3, 9 through 20. I'll read through it and it says, no one is righteous. Uh, we have all, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And it is as it is written. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Uh, next slide, please. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. Um, there's no fear of God before their eyes. No, um, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under a law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Uh, so let's pray as we jump into uh, the teaching. Uh, Jesus, we just thank you so much for your truth. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are the God of grace, the God of mercy and that you really do uh, show us those things. Father, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage our hearts today as we go through your word, as we learn a little bit more about um, this scripture, this teaching. God, we just ask that you would bless us, that you would bless these words, and that we would become closer to you as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start by kind of making this claim that we are all alike. Now, you could probably uh, be certain that we all look very different, right? Uh, we all like different teams. Tim likes the Chiefs. Let's pray for him. Um, some of you guys like the Niners. I pray for you. Uh, and me, being so cool and great, I like the Raiders, uh, which they're probably losing right now. Uh, but that's besides the point. But we, uh, we are actually more alike than we are not. In the text in verses 9, it says, what shall we conclude? Do we have any advantage at all? Not at all. For the, we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are all under the power of sin. So it means all of us, every single one of us. And it's talking about it's asking the question of, do we have any advantage? And it's really talking about the advantage of knowing the word, having the word in our lives. Uh, and people would say that seems like an advantage, but I would make the claim that it's more of a benefit, right? Because if you know all of the scriptures, if you know all of the words, but you do not have the God of that word then you are essentially not saved. You don't know Jesus. You don't know the truth. And then so if there's, it's just a word that someone's giving you, right? Just think about it. If you just read it, all it is is its word. But when the action is done, you finally understand. It's kind of like, um, how many of you guys have ever had the cable guy come to your house? Probably most of us if we have cable, right? Uh, but there's often a moment in that time where they say, hey, we're going to be there between the hours of 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Uh, kind of leaves you guessing, what does that even mean, right? And you don't really truly know the time that it's happening until they show up at 5 p.m. You waited all day just for them to show up at the last moment. And so before that, all you had was their word and then finally the action. It's the same thing. If you only know the word of God, but you don't understand the action that was taken and you receive the forgiveness, if you don't have that action, then it doesn't make any sense. It's of no advantage. Now, there's benefit to understanding the word, but how many of you guys know that there is no favoritism in salvation? You either know Jesus or you don't. 
A couple, uh, maybe a year or so ago, uh, I made the question, I asked the question to you guys, do you know Jesus like you know Obama or do you know him like you know your mama? In simplicity, what that means is uh, I've seen Obama on the news, right? I've seen him give speeches. I've seen all these things. I've heard about him. Uh, But the reality is that that probably won't give me an invitation to his house party just by simply seeing him on the news. Uh, But I know my mama. I know how to make her mad. You can ask her. I do it often. Um, I know how to make her happy. I know how to uh, just engage in relationship with my mom because I've seen her. I've, I've known her my whole life. And the same thing is true, is that you must know Jesus one-on-one to truly understand his word. And the truth is, whether you know religion or rebellion, you don't know righteousness apart from Jesus. It's a matter of what you do with Jesus. It's a matter of how much you, you invest in your time with him. It's not a matter of elite status or religious upbringing. It's a matter of a one-on-one relationship with your best friend. The text continues on and says in verses 10 that there's no one righteous, no one, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless, and there's no one who does good, not even one. You get that? Not one, no one, not even one, no one, not one, not your mama, not your daddy, not your bald-headed granny, Uh, no one, okay? You really need a full scope of God to understand the reality of what we're seeing. And the full scope of God's mercy can't be grasped until we understand these things. And Paul's just kind of letting us know, man, we got to get in the business. He says, no one seeks God. There's a story in scripture. Have you guys heard of a man named Zacchaeus? If you grew up in church, you know, this Zacchaeus was. Okay, we got some church folks in the house. Um, So Zacchaeus was this little guy. He was probably like my height. Um, And he probably heard all these stories about Jesus and these miracles that were taking place. And uh, he's actually known as the chief tax collector, which was basically the top dog, one of the big guys. But he's also kind of known for some of the things that he shouldn't have done. He was probably taking more money than he needed to. uh, And it was really kind of a corrupt life that he was living. But he's running out to go see who this man Jesus is. Can't see him over the crowd. So this grown man climbs a tree, a sycamore tree, And how many of you guys know it's not often that you see a grown man climb a tree to see another grown man? Um, It's not an often thing, so it's kind of weird. But what happens is Jesus looks at him and says, hey, man, I'm about to have dinner in your house, invites himself in. And Zacchaeus then just says, like, man, these are all the things that I've done that are wrong, and I want to give back uh, more than I took. He has this moment with Jesus where he realizes who he truly is, and Jesus says, truly salvation has come to this home. And the Son of Man comes to seek and save the lost. It would be kind of like this. How many of you guys know that Tim is a pretty tall guy, 6'6"? It would be like if one morning Tim woke up and was like, today's my goal is to find the ice cream man. I want a strawberry shortcake and I want it now. And he starts singing songs like, ice cream man, upon my street, I see your truck outside. It's really neat. Ice cream man, please ring your bell and play that song that I love to hear. It'd be weird, right, if Tim was like that. But then he hears the bell and he starts running outside and this six foot six man is chasing after a strawberry shortcake. And he finally stops him. He gets his shortcake and he goes, I did this. I sought you out and I got my strawberry shortcake. But the truth is, Tim didn't determine the route that the ice cream man went, right? He often probably goes the same one and knew that he was coming to Tim's street. 
And in the same way, Zacchaeus was not seeking out Jesus the way that he might have thought. In the same way, Jesus uh, came and he knew the destination. He knew whose home he was going to have dinner. He knew that day that he was going to meet someone who needed him. And that person was Zacchaeus. Even in our best way, even in our best stance, our best effort, we do not seek Jesus. There's this movement within the church called the seeker-sensitive church, and there's a lot of arguments for it, against it, and I'm not here to really debate those. But essentially, the whole thing was that it was a modern approach to public worship and evangelism. And there's nothing really wrong with removing superficial barriers within our lives, but the whole argument that they made was that people were seeking God. But the text itself says that no one seeks God. It's out of his great compassion, his great love for his people. It's out of this this desire for us to experience freedom, joy, purpose, that he draws us close to him. It's his compassion. It continues on and says that they together become worthless. Other translations would say unprofitable. Unprofitable, not in the sense that they have no worth, but that what they do is of no profit. In Mark 8, 36, it says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That means that you can have your dream job. You can have uh, the wife of your dreams, a woman who, who, who's amazing. You can have healthy kids. You can have millions of dollars in your bank account. You can golf every other day. You can have all your things come true. But if you don't have Jesus, you essentially have nothing. And so we, we look at that. And we continue to see that it says there's no one that does good, not even one. And if you're like me, kind of in this moment, you start to get offended because you start thinking like, I've done some decent things in my life. I go to the food pantry every month and I serve our city. I've been at Grace Village. I've been helping with this and that. I've given to charities or I I, I tithe or I do all these things. Um, I have all these reasons to say that I'm a good person. But if you examined a lot of my life or some of the things that I've done in the innermost of myself, you would see that we're not as good as we think we are. And Paul's just making these claims to us. And the claims that he's making happen, honestly, a lot longer before his conversion. He, He starts referencing things to us. In Psalms 14, 1 through 3, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are anyone who understands, anyone who seeks God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And I love this because no one examines us like this, right? How many people just sit there and and, and say, hey, this, 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 this is who you are? No one. But Paul is just making these claims and saying, like, this is really what we've done. And he goes on to to talk, uh, reference Ecclesiastes 7.20. He says, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Does anyone need any convincing of that? Just think about it. There's a story that's often told within church, and it, it might sound a little like this. It's Sunday morning, and you wake up because you're going over to Central Christian Church. You're ready to hear Juan worship and sing his sweet O's and oh, all the things that he does. And you're ready to get the truth from Pastor Tim and see Michael's awesome Love Your Neighbor video. Um, Shout outs, come join us on the 28th. But all these things are happening. You're excited, but you can't get your kids up because they had a long week and they're not ready to go to church. So you're trying to wake them up. You you made your, your famous oatmeal for them. Two packs, maple brown sugar. And they still won't get up, right? And you go, babe, let's go. Like, 
when your wife's getting ready for, to, to go to church, but she can't decide what she wants to wear. And so she changes into her favorite dress and she comes down and says, babe, how do I look? Does it make me look fat? Man, you know what not to do. You say, you look great, honey. You always do. And then she goes and changes and she comes back out with her favorite blouse. And she's like, what about this one? And you're like, come on, just put something on. And then she finally puts on her jeans and her central t-shirt and she's like, okay, I'm ready. And you're like, really all that? Just we're running late. And so you're running late and you jump in the car and all of a sudden you play some music and you're hoping that Juan plays Jesus at the center of it all. And he does, he's on his way. He's practicing that. But then what happens on your way to church? You guys all know it. You get cut off, right? You're about to make that turn. You get cut off and you start saying words that you don't normally say that we know of. Um, and all these things are happening, right? And you pull in and what happens? They go to church with you and it's all, it's not even 1030. It's not even 1030 and you've already done some pretty bad things, right? You got angry, you got bitter, you got, you got, you got impatient. And the text is really just saying that we don't need to be convinced that no one is righteous. No one does what is right and never sins. Just think about of our last week, right? How many times have you been impatient? How many times have you been angry? How many times have you been annoyed or, or any of those things? And Paul's just building his case more and more. And the reality is that apart from the finished work of Jesus, we're not good. And he's just supporting every single one of these claims. And the truth is, when you dive deep into our hearts, you realize something. That we all have some pretty wicked hearts. And, and the truth is, wicked hearts produce wicked words. The Bible says this in verses 13. It says their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Open graves. Some translations say open tombs. And what do you know about a tomb? Often what you do is you put something deceased, something dead within a tomb, right? And you close it up. But if you were to open that up, what would happen? The stench, the nastiness, the, 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 the death would come out and the smell would go forth and you would get something pretty gross. And it's saying the same way our throats practice that with our words. It says our tongues practice deceit. Proverbs 18.21 says the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. I want you guys to imagine somebody that you know in your life that you love truly. Someone that you really honor, someone that has invested in you, someone that uh, has, has poured into your life and you would do anything for them. Now, if that person came up to you and they said, hey, I'm proud of you. I believe in you. I'm for you. That has the power to really encourage us, right? It changes our world. It, it makes us feel like we can do anything. But the same person comes up to you and says, hey, you really let me down. I can't believe you did that. I'm very disappointed in you. What does that do to us? It crushes us. You can do a lot of damage with your words. If I'm being honest, um, there's some things that I could probably say right now that would be pretty crazy that would make me no longer the youth and community engagement director at Central Christian Church. I'm not going to say anything crazy, don't have anything crazy, uh, but the same is true for you, right? You can go to work tomorrow and walk up to your boss and say one thing that would have them say, you should probably pack up your stuff. Sounds like you're done here. We have the power to do a lot with our words. 
Matthew 12, 34 says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I often wonder in my own life, what do people experience for me? What do people see when I leave a conversation? Do they experience joy? Do they experience encouragement? Do they experience uh, the joy of uh, who Jesus is? Or do they experience the poison, the death, discouragement? That's something that we should evaluate in our own lives. But the reality is, is same thing's true with wicked hearts producing wicked words. Wicked hearts also produce wicked ways. It's the way in that we respond to people, how we act, and the things that we do as a result of people saying things to us. Verses 15 through 17 said, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. And the truth is, is that broken people break things. How many of you guys know that uh, at one point, San Jose was actually considered one of the safest little big cities in all of America, one of the safest places to be. But over the last, what, 15 years or so, homicide rates have gone up. Crime has gone up, violence, all these things, and it's all the results of people. It's all the results of our neighbors, all the results of things that we've done. And this usually happens because of a wrong view of God. But there's hope, and the hope starts with a proper view of God. Romans 3.18 says there's no fear of God before their eyes. And when you don't understand, if you don't have fear of God, then that typically means that they don't have a proper view and understanding of how big and amazing he is. We as Christians and people tend to cling to the aspects of God that we love, that we enjoy. Think about our own lives, right? We tend to say, oh, well, this is my favorite part, so I'm going to dive into this. While Jesus is gracious and loving, he's also righteous in his judgment. When you think of that reality, you can't help but understand that, man, we cling to verses that we enjoy and that, we, we fit, that really fit our needs. Uh, a while back, there was this show called Run's House. And what Run would do is he would sit in his bathtub at the end of the show. Did anyone remember this? And he would, he would write out what's happening in his life, and he would end it with a Bible verse saying, God is love. How many of you guys have heard the verse, God is love? And so God is love. Typically what happens is we say, if God is love, this is what I've seen love to be. I've seen this in the movies. I've seen this in my life. I've seen this happen, and this is love. So if this is love, this is what I expect God to be. We project our feelings and our actions on who he is. Instead of saying, man, if God is love and I want to be loved, I want to understand love, then I'm going to dive into all who this God is. You see, we need a proper view of God. In order to understand our need for Jesus, we need that proper view. And Psalms 36, 1 says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now, in studying this, I'm kind of examining my own life, and I'm hoping you are doing the same. And if you're a believer or you put your faith in Jesus, then the comforting thing is that the Bible says those who put their faith in Jesus, there's no condemnation. And this is a good place to start, to have some sort of fear and reverence of who God is. This is a good place to start in saying, man, I know what he's capable of, but he's on my team. Fear of God. And for those of you who maybe have never put your faith in Jesus, if you're feeling a little scared or there's some sort of fear in your heart, this is also a good place to start. Because Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, fear of God we often misunderstand. 
We think that God's going to come at some point and just crush us. We think he's going to destroy us in one moment. And part of that is healthy in the sense that like, there's some fear we know what he could do. But it really switches the narrative when you understand that he is on your team. I use this as a reference um, because it really shifts your mindset and understanding. Now, if you guys know, uh, Pastor Tim has three kids, Elsie, Drake, and Cannon. Now, their whole lives, they've probably seen their dad provide for them, protect them, and invest in them. And so that alone, having this man who's really tall on their team, makes them feel some sort of comfort, right? But they also know that if dad raises his voice, he's probably meaning business. But the reason he's doing that is because he's ultimately showing them like, hey, man, this is what's best. This is what we got to do. And, and I'm not punishing you, but I'm, I'm showing you that there's growth coming. But in the same way, if Tim went up to a little uh, four-year-old that wasn't his kid and raised his voice, what would happen? They'd probably get really scared. They'd probably do one or two things. They'd run away and flee. Or they'd say, I wonder what I can do with this man on my team. He's big. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to join his squad because I know that he's possibly capable of doing much more. And it's that same kind of mindset. Is that for those of us who know God, who put our faith in God, fear of God in this sense is saying, man, I know what he's capable of, but he's my dad and he's always provided. For those of us who haven't put our faith in Jesus, it's saying, man, I wonder what it would look like to do a life with him. He has the ability to truly change it. A proper view shows reverence. It shows awe of who God is. And it desires far more than knowledge and memorization of verses. See, we need to understand it's not just about knowing things that the Word says. The Word is great, and I'll be honest, I love it. It's challenged me. It's changed me. It's encouraged me. But it's not just about knowing things. The Bible says that the law brings the knowledge of sin. And that is true. But the law brings the knowledge of sin, but it does not bring the forgiveness of sin. Romans 3, 19 through 20 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You see, his word is active. It's alive. It's sharp. But his word also judges our hearts, our actions, and our thoughts. His word draws a clear line that exposes the issues in our life. As it defines what sin is, we become aware and conscious of our sin. But that does not have the power to forgive our sin. But there is hope in the midst of it. But all that means is that if you know the text, if you went to seminary and you attended every Bible study, but you didn't understand the revelation of the saving power of Jesus, then you probably feel like this is too much to bear. Because the law, what it does is it gives you the conscience of your sin, but not the forgiveness of your sin. It's meant to push us to understand our need for the one who does, who does save us, the one who does uh, uh, um, remove our shame. He's the one, what it does is it helps us understand that reality. And Paul's just staking the charges over and over again and bringing so much evidence that we are not as good as we think that we are. Because even in our doing of good, our hearts are wicked. It expresses it that therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And that's all just said to say that no one could look and say, look how good I am. 
Look at all the good things I've done. But every time we see his mercy, every time we experience his forgiveness, every time we, we, we see his holiness, we realize that we're a bit off. And the reality is, is that it's his compassion, his love and kindness that draws us close to him. Romans 2, 3 through 4 says, So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? See, this message isn't about shame or guilt. It's not something that's supposed to be too heavy. Um, it's just telling us that there is a need for our Savior. For those of us who've experienced God's grace and mercy, this is just a reminder of the beauty of what he's taken us from. It's a reminder of the beauty of what he's doing. It's the reminder of the beauty of where we're going, that it's not done, and that life with Jesus is the best. You see, the, the beauty of this all is that regardless of what you've done, regardless of, of, of all the things that we've done that seem horrible, is that we don't have to clean it up. All we have to do is put our faith in Jesus. That's why it's beautiful that it's not based off of works. It's not based off of doing good. But we inherit Jesus as a result of our faith in him. Now, if you're feeling a little like, well, this was a bit much, Corral. It's a good thing. But here's a little bit of hope as we head into the rest of the series. In Romans 3.21, it says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known which means that's all the mess that we've done, all the things that are wrought and all of that, we don't have to go and clean it up that it's been dealt with by Jesus. That's why this statement in Romans 1, 16 is amazing. It says that the pow because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It goes on and it says, for it is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith, the righteous will live by faith. It's the power of God that brings salvation. And that's the truth. That's the reality of it all. It's through his son's sacrifice, what he's done for us. And we obtain that simply by doing two things, by putting our hope in Jesus and our faith in Jesus. Now that's hope in Jesus. Now I don't know if you guys are like me, but a lot of times when things happen where it doesn't seem right, we tend to cling to everyone else's opinion someone who's been through it. And I'm not saying don't seek advice. I'm not saying don't go to a counselor. I'm not saying any of those things. But what I'm saying is that often we tend to forget of who we need to find our hope in. Is that the Bible says a lot of things about Jesus and his promise for us. And our hope lies within that. And we put our faith in Jesus as a result of that. And the Bible says that we have to do that in order to truly inherit him. And so faith in Jesus is not faith in our own authority. It's not how we handle situations. It's not what we think is right. Faith in Jesus is saying, no, he, he has my will for me. He, he, he has good things for me. He's the one who has something planned for me. And my hope is that I will continue to push towards him. It's not faith in a definition of good. It's not faith in attending every single food distribution. It's not faith in pretending that we've done good things. It's not faith in anything but faith in Jesus. Faith in his works. Faith in what God has accomplished. Faith in what Jesus went to the cross for. And it's not faith in religious acts. It's not just showing up on a Sunday hoping that, that you checkmarked that one. 
or that you showed up for your Bible study or, or that you feel like um, you talked to him this morning and, and it was just another thing to do. What it, ultimately faith is, it's, it's understanding the reality of his love and kindness. So how do we do that? How do we have hope in Jesus and how do we have faith in Jesus? Well, I want to make it very simple for us. In the Bible, it says in 1 John 4, 19, that we love because he first loved us. And so when you understand that, what you have to do is you have to lean in on what he's done. You have to lean in on who he's been. You have to lean on, on what he says. You have to take his word and run with him. You see, understanding his love is understanding the definition of love, and that's a man who sacrificed for you. It's a man who sacrificed for your mom. It's a man who sacrificed for an entire world that they would inherit a kingdom. It's not faith in our own circumstances. Now, I've had the privilege and honor of being a part of a lot of amazing moments of God. But there's one moment that stood out my entire life. Since, I, since I've uh, been doing missions work, there's this one thing that happened that really has shaken the way that I understand this message. And it's not my own story, it's a story that I've seen. I used to do some camps in Kona, Hawaii with um, middle school and high school students. And in simplicity, what we were doing is we were sharing the gospel with a bunch of people. We were trying to teach students like, this is the gospel message. This is what God has done. And if you want this message, you want this in your life, you got to respond to it. And over that time, uh, people started sharing their stories. And this one girl, this one little girl, I think she was in middle school. She started, she started sharing her story and people like their eyes were opening. And so what they did was they asked her if she felt comfortable to come share her story in front of everybody. And she walks up to the stage and she shares, she shares a little bit of her story and she tells an entire community, 300 other kids, when she was a young girl that her father had taken her mother's life. And everyone kind of is like, whoa, that's a heavy thing to share. But what she starts leaning in on is she goes, the results of that is I never truly understood what love was. My whole life I, I've been trying to figure it out, so I've tried this and it wasn't good. I tried leaning in on this and bad friends and, and bad circumstances and all these things. She's like, and, and honestly, I'm a rotten person. But when I heard this message of who Jesus is and how much he forgives me, I couldn't help but understand that it's something I have to extend to every single person that I talk to. She says, including my father, who took away something from me that I, may never, I will never know. And so this understanding of, of, of a young girl seeing what it means to truly forgive, to truly understand, to truly see that her hope was only in Jesus, that she had to put her faith in Jesus. And so right there on the spot, she says, God, I forgive my father. I receive you into my life. So the whole message of this is not just to say, hey, you're a terrible person. You suck, you suck, this, that. No, it's none of that. What it's saying is that we need a savior. And that savior, his name is Jesus. Now, for some of us, a lot of us have put our faith in Jesus. And so my prayer today is that for those of you who put your faith in Jesus to understand one, that there's no condemnation for what you've done and you don't have to go back and clean up your mess, but that you would leave today with a heart filled with hope saying, man, my God is good. A, a, a heart filled with hope saying that, man, whatever he spokes, I want to go after. And the result of that would be an increase of your faith. And an increase of your faith would be a result of being obedient to what he's called you to do, to love your neighbor, to love your neighbor like yourself, 
So as you leave this, this, this house today, we would encourage you, man, to go and love people wildly. Because if you understand this, it would be something that you wouldn't want to keep back. Now, if one of you guys won the lottery tomorrow, you would run around the house. You would scream it out. It'd be the greatest gift you ever got. But fun fact, the greatest gift you ever got was the giveness of forgiveness of a man who sacrificed his life. A man who truly said, like, regardless of what you've done, I love you. That's a truth that the world needs to know. And I cry every time I say it because it's truly changed my life. It's not something that I, I come up here and I do because it's a nice paycheck. I do it because I really believe that this love could change our city. That the love of Jesus would be so displayed through Central Christian Church. That it wouldn't be just him. That it wouldn't be just me. It wouldn't just be the welcome team. There would be an entire group of people who said, man, this has to be said. For those of you who haven't put your faith in Jesus, today is the day. Today is the greatest opportunity to do that. And I say what Jesus would have said to you. He says, I love you. I want you in my family. So we want to give you an opportunity to receive that love. And so if you guys could do me a favor, if... Um, you can bow your head and close your eyes. We want to give people an opportunity to receive Jesus into their heart. And so if that's you, if you're saying, man, I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm tired of being Mr. or Miss Independent. I'm tired of being the one who, who tries to figure it out and every single time it doesn't work. I'm a rotten person or I feel this way. It's not what it's about. But today is the day that you've received the forgiveness that you deserved that you didn't deserve, but that you deserved because God loved you so much. And so if that's you, I'm going to ask you, man, if you would be bold enough to raise your hand. No one's looking, no, one, no one's staring. If you've never received Jesus into your life, if that's you, raise your hand. And essentially, all this is is just saying, man, I recognize that I need him. So for those of you who, who made that prayer, I ask you to repeat this as I pray. Say, Jesus, I recognize my need. I need a savior. Jesus, today I choose you. God, I repent for any way that I've been disobedient, that I've turned away from you. But God, today I repent from things that I've done. And uh, today I choose to make you the leader of my life, the forgiver of my life, the savior of my life. God, thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for, for saving me. Thank you for, for being the one who, who did what I needed. God, I'm tired of, of going after everything else. And so, God, today I become dependent on you. Jesus, I choose you. I love you. I need you. I can't live without you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if that's you, man, the Bible says that all of heaven is cheering. And so can we go ahead and join that celebration for those people who made that commitment?